0: Please close your eyes, turn around and count to nine. When you open them, I will be gone. Okay? The Spartans said they were double! The Spartans said they would flinch! And they did!
1: Spartan dogs, how on earth are we all doing today? It's, uh, well, just half of the show right here, Matt Sheehan, joined by the better half of the show, Justin Thin. <laughs> Boy, do we have some uh, things to talk about here on today's episode. I'll be around for the coaching carousel portion of this. But uh, before we get any further, Justin, no one ever asks how you are doing. <laughs> how are you doing, Justin? I care about you. You doing okay over there, man? Matt, I'm doing well. It'll depend
0: on uh, what Michigan State does with this coaching hire to determine my long-term status of doing well or not, but I think uh, for now, I'm, I'm doing okay. How are you doing today, Matt?
1: Uh, just quite peachy. Thank you very much. Uh, it is coaching carousel season. It is going to be a little different than the last one we had a few years ago instead mm-hmm. of a firestorm in the dead of February, just trying to scramble for anyone that's even available JT, we we have some time on our hands. We still have basically an entire college football season to take some peeks around the country, see who is built for this SD4L life over here. So that's going to make it a little more entertaining, if not for nothing else. Are are you ready for another coaching search? I am. uh, I I probably shouldn't be like as ready as I am. If anything, (laughs) the circumstances
0: are probably not as exciting and maybe even (laughs) unfortunate to some extent. But I don't know. I just I love I
1: love a good coaching search. See, that is the positive attitude we are looking for here. Uh, before getting into all the names, because we have quite a, a long list of names mm-hmm. here, what, what makes Michigan State this appealing job, Justin? Right? Uh, look, Michigan State top 20 in revenue. We mm-hmm. just saw the fan support that you get at Michigan State last week as well. Our Spartans right. they came off a five and seven season. All right, that might uh fan or just dows a lot of the flames that a fan mm-hmm. base would have around the country. It was going to be a tough game against Washington before the ball's even kicked off. MSU sells out the stadium. Okay. You right. have football fielding still being built that when a new coach gets here, is still going to have the sticker on it. It's going to have that new car smell. You don't have to do all the fundraising and everything like that. It is plug-in and play. You get to play with a Mm -hmm. top assistant pool in the nation. It is the the best-salaried position here. Uh, And also, hey, we just saw not too long ago as well, Justin, if you have one good season at Michigan State, there could be $95 million up for grabs here. So there's a lot of things that make this appealing. And, well, yeah, this goes without saying, but you're in the Big Ten. Not a conference right. that's disintegrating in front of your very eyes. So plenty, plenty, plenty of pros here at Michigan State here, JT. Yes.
0: No doubt, no anything? doubt. I no, you didn't. Um, the the new facility, the salaries that are coming because of the TV deal, the money that they have in general, um, the NIL support that you could potentially have here. So I think, yeah, those are those are all like big reasons, uh, in addition to the fan support and kind of just the program tradition and the prestige that it has. Top twenty-five and all-time wins. Um, yep. So like those are those are definitely factors that I think make this an appealing job. Um, it, it's hard to determine exactly how appealing and like which big time superstars that you would even want to poach if you wanted to start getting into that unrealistic sense. Because yeah. other than the Kirby Smart, um, I don't really know <laughs> who's doing too hot right now um, on a consistent year in year out basis. Like the Davo Sweeney, the Nick Sabans, we yeah. don't know exactly where their trajectory is. Dan Lanning seems really exciting, but like, yep. and then again, you don't. It's very early. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, you know, it's pretty much done there. I I would say, um, Chris of just getting started Jimbo Fisher. Like, you know how I feel about that. So like, I think at the end of the day, this is a time where like, you don't really know who the home run hire even would be because of how easily it could go south with some of these guys I named. So I don't really know like what shooting for the stars in this coaching search would entail. So kind of where I'm looking is just like the realistic, stable, proven winner types um yep. that entails like me staying away from like pipe dream guys like urban Meyer or like a dan Lanning, for example or maybe even a kalen devore um staying away from maybe somebody that might be too much of a wild card such as a brian hartline or, or a glenn schumann um some of these guys that it might be too early to, to decide if that's someone you want to hand your entire program's operations over to um, so those are kind of the guys I'm staying away from Matt. Who are some guys that we maybe should be gravitating towards in terms of like main candidates on the shortlist?
1: Yeah. On, on the short list of the guys at the top are safe hires, but safe hires like that. That's lingo that maybe gets a bad connotation towards yes. it. It's kind of like a game manager quarterback. Like that, that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes all that you right. need is just the safe hire, you know, just the guy that's going to rebuild the program and do it the way they've been doing it at other places, like Mike Elko at Duke, like Chris Kleiman at Kansas Mm -hmm. State, like Lance Leopold over at Kansas. Or if you want to keep on going west, further and further west, Jonathan Smith over at Oregon State. Now, that's the top guy on my list. I just wonder how reasonable those expectations Mm -hmm. are going to be because he is an alum of Oregon State. This is a tumultuous time for Oregon State, who is being left to the curb, and just no one wants them. Uh, So, And that might actually hurt Michigan State's chances with Jonathan Smith right. because as an alum, as the figure of that university right now, kind of like how many times over here, Tom Izzo is always the head figure of this university to make a comparison mm-hmm. right there. He might be inclined to stay there and see this out for his Beavers. But yeah, I mean, Hey, just like we said at the top of the show, there's a lot of things that makes this Michigan State job appealing. So if it's not right. Jonathan Smith, I think those other three guys I named, whether it's Cleman, Leopold or Elko safe hires, I think would also be really good hires for Michigan state here. Is there anyone that I'm missing here as far as like safe hires go or anyone that you have at the top of that list too? Right.
0: Yeah. I think, I don't know how safe it would be, but I would add Lewis to that fold as well. Okay. Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator from Colorado. I think it'd be much more of a safe hire than someone like Brian Hartline who hasn't gone through and had multiple years as being a head coach somewhere um i think uh charles huff is a guy that i would include there again i don't know if that's necessarily yeah. safe but he's on my short list in short basically the, the the top three maybe four that i'm looking at if you include smith somewhere in there depending on the realism realism of that my top three i guess taking him out is elko charles huff sean lewis at, at, okay. at press time uh that could change that that was not the top three just like two days ago okay. um but yeah th- those are my three guys um, I'll talk about Elko in depth, kind of in a second. But like Lewis, um, similar to similar to Jonathan Smith, people don't understand how hard it is to win where these guys were head coaches. Um, for example, Jonathan Smith, the, the guy at the top of your list. They were two and nine the the year before he took over. Sorry, two and ten before he took over. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly bad. Might even have been one and eleven the year prior to that. Just remembering off the top of my head. So like it was as it was as destroyed of a program as he could have taken over, and he's over here now has him in the top twenty five. Took him a few years to get it off the mat, but now once again this year they're in the top twenty five. DJ used that quarterback. Now that he can use the portal, which he couldn't do at the beginning of his tenure in Beaverton, um, or sorry, Corvallis, I should say. And, um, yeah, so, like, that that's, like, not held against him. I don't care what the overall record is. Same thing with Sean Lewis at Kent State. He might be 24 and 31 in his years when he was there, but guess what? That puts him at the highest win percentage in all of Kent State's last 45 years, minus anyone that coached under 30 games. So as much of a winning coach as, as he could get at Kent State. So yeah, he's currently the OC at Colorado. I'm not really giving him a ton of praise for like what we're seeing in that flash of flash in a pan sort of setting there, but he can call plays. I don't know if he's necessarily the reason Shadur Sanders is there. I would say his dad is the reason he's there. Maybe, Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I just, I like what I see from him as a play caller and I like what he did at Kent state. Now Charles Huff real quick on him. Um, He was Nick Saban's associate head coach at Alabama at age 36 uh, was, was an unreal recruiter there, um, landed multiple five stars as a primary recruiter on the defensive side of the ball, despite being the running backs coach. So they had him recruiting all the big fish. Um, and you're saying, oh, well, he's at Alabama. I'm not going to give him credit for even if he landed Alabama's best players. Let's go when to when he was at Penn state, James Franklin hired him from Western Michigan. And he was on Franklin's very first staff. He landed Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, Um, In back-to-back classes, developed them, went to the defensive side of the ball to help them out while still being the running backs coach, landed a lot of good corners, defensive uh, safeties, defensive ends all over the field. Um, Then even his his time at Mississippi State, which was just one year, his only feat there really was the fact that they carried the ball 280-something times, had zero fumbles. So just a slight little footnote there. But yeah, sure. just an ace recruiter. And at Marshall now, his second year there, last year they beat Notre Dame, had a winning record. His thing is he didn't take over as downtrodden of a program as somebody like Alco and Smith did and, and Sean Lewis, mm-hmm. I can State. say. But like, he still won. And I guess you'll have to see how he does the rest of this year. But he's a proven recruiter. So we'll see exactly where, where things stand uh, with him as the season goes and with a lot of these
1: guys. Now, to yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like a guy like Charles Huff, I first saw the name. I was yeah. like, eh, they, they had fun at South Bend last year. And then you really start to read up on this guy. It's right. like, oh yeah, he's rocketing up my board right now. Like I, yeah. I would not mind one Charles Huff here. Yes,
0: yeah. for sure. For sure. I, um, I think then at the top of my list, though, those two guys being second and third in some order, top of the list for me is Mike Elko. Okay. Real quick, Mike Elko, Michigan State hired, or sorry, Duke hired him from Texas A&M where he was the defensive coordinator even when they were kind of shaky and they were going four and four in conference play, Mike Elko's units were top 10 uh, nationally defensively. Um, He has not had a season outside of the top 35 in total defense since 2017. And he hasn't had a season outside of the top 45 since 2011 at Bowling Green state. So he's a guy that he's, he, he knows ball. He's a defensive coordinator he, as taking over at Duke, took over a program that they went three and nine the year before he got there, two and nine the season before that, five and seven the year before that. So completely, completely decimated program essentially. He took it over at last year without being able to support it like most schools can. He still got some guys, but they're more restricted than a lot of places. And he took them to a nine-win season in year one. Matt. He took a team that had the one hundred and seventh best offense and took them to thirty-first, despite being a de- despite being a defensive guy all because he hired an air raid offensive coordinator that kind of made that leap, Riley Leonard, obviously coming in. So yeah. he he transformed that program in, in, in ways that it's hard to quantify and to speak about without sounding like way too over the moon. But like what he did at Duke last year is unbelievable stuff. And um, I know a lot of people know him from being down from the south, obviously, because of Texas A&M, but he's not originally from there. He coached at um, Notre Dame. He was a DC there in 2017. Uh, Bowling Green for five years before that. He's a New Jersey native. I think born in New Brunswick, if I'm not mistaken, played and went to Penn. So he's not necessarily a Southern guy, even though everyone knew him from his Texas A&M days. Recruiter, we'll see what kind of recruiter he is. He's no Charles Huff. But I think the fact that he spent those years at Texas A&M, he knows what it takes. He knows what it looks like. But at the end of the day, if you can win football games, recruits will come from, from winning. I'm not looking to hire someone that is not a proven winner. Just because they're a good recruiter, and then seeing, let's see where that takes us over somebody like Mike Elko.
1: And it's the smallest sample size possible, but their Week yeah. One win against Clemson, like they yeah. just looked like the better team. Like th- that didn't seem like an upset. Like they they just looked more athletic, schemed better. And I know that Clemson, say what you will, that they might be a little down used to the old you know Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson. Clemson's were used to, still. Under no circumstance in any point in the history of time should Duke ever look that good against a right. Clemson team. And that comes down to coaching. So, yes. yeah, I could – Mike Elko is one of the easiest sells that you could have me on. Yeah. If, if the, the news news headline pops up, Elko coming to East Lansing, great. Yeah. Don't have to talk myself into that name whatsoever. And we yeah. do have a few names that, like, you you don't have to talk yourself into. Like, it is just a very – very good piece of news if it were for to happen sure. here in East Lansing, yeah,
0: absolutely no doubt at all. I think, um, Elko's buyout being unknown and his salary being unknown make it a little hard for me to tell people how likely it is. I think yep. Michigan State has the ability to, to get obviously give him more money than he has at Duke, but if he's somehow making six million because let's say they hypothetically doubled maybe three million that he was making before 2022 and his buyouts up in the 20s and 30s, gets a little dicey. And what kind of staff pool are you left with? So, uh, again, feasibility is murky there compared to other guys. I know Smith is also kind of hard because, as you said, over making over $5 million, you may feel a like great sense of duty to his university of or- at Oregon State right now that could need him more than they ever have. Um, so, like, a lot of these guys, like, you'll have to see how interested they are, but, like, that's what these next couple months are for, and that's what the school has the ability to see how interested these guys are and then maybe pivot to other options. So really like that. Um, kind of like just overall philosophy wise, I think like, as I said earlier, like hiring a coordinator that's never coached before, a guy like Brian Hartline, maybe even a guy like Ryan Grubb at Washington, who's impressive. These guys yeah. might be really good head coaches. I think all of them, they probably need another one to two years as coordinators, especially Hartline, who's not even calling the plays at Ohio State and it's his first year with that title. Um, I think like these guys could be very good. I don't think Michigan State's a spot where they can take that risk right now because they're at a crossroads. They have some talent on the roster. They don't want to lose a lot of it to the portal. And if, even if they do or don't, you need to be able to recruit at a high level at Michigan state, because at the end of the day, it's still traditionally the fourth biggest brand in the big 10 East, which I know divisions Mm -hmm. don't really matter anymore, but uh, Mel Tucker can come in and say, Oh, if you can't recruit here, you can't recruit anywhere, but that's not necessarily true. Um, So it's a job where you have to get it right because quickly it could go downhill I'm personally just not gambling on somebody like a Heartline or a grub, even though they might be worthy candidates. I don't know. Any other thoughts, Matt, on on the overall, just what you think of the search and
1: where you wanted to see it go? No, it's an unsexy sentence to say, but like a a smart hire would, uh, sorry, a safe hire would be a smart hire at at Mm -hmm. this point. Uh, I'll I'll save the gambling for uh, my FanDuel app, my my DraftKings app. But when it comes to leading the college football team that I root for right now, Boy, does just stability sound great right now, Justin? I mean, call me old-fashioned and vanilla, but yeah, I mean, just a safe hire would be fine. That's okay. Yeah,
0: that's no doubt, no doubt about that. But Matt, great discussion here. I will be back on the other side of this with some talk about uh, maybe recapping uh, the coaching discussion and then maybe also previewing the Maryland side of things. So, Matt, appreciate your insight. Love this conversation. We'll continue conversing about this. I'm sure every waking minute the next three months and uh appreciate appreciate you sticking around for this and uh i'll be back
1: yeah sorry i gotta split early but hey you know c- carry the baton to the finish line justin yes, you sir. got this baby you yes, got sir. this let's go go green everyone all right see you Matt. with Kizik cans free shoes motion sounds something like this
0: And welcome back to the SD4L show. Justin Thind here still. Um, Yeah, appreciate Matt joining us. He had uh, lots of obligations today, but made time for uh, talking about head coaching searches because how could you not want to talk about coaching searches? Um, Yeah, so kind of recapping our discussion there. uh, A lot of good candidates, um, candidates that are going to be vetted throughout the rest of their seasons this year. Uh, which is the pro of kind of having this ha- happen now when it did. Uh, you're going to get to see, is Charles Huff going to be continuing to climb the uh, the ladder up with the Marshall program? And is he going to be winning even more than he did last year? Um, is Mike Alco, he's not really as much under the magnifying glass this year, just because um, even if Duke loses uh, to like, let's say North Carolina, um, Notre Dame in two weeks, um, another game here too, and they go eight and four that's still what, better than what Duke is supposed to do. That's way better than where Duke was when he took over two years ago. might not be nine wins like last year, but at the end of the day, like he'd have to have a huge collapse for, for, for it to be held against him because Duke's talent is not at the level of some of the teams that they're going to have to play here. Um, Jonathan Smith, you know, like it's hard to give him a ton of credit for what they're doing at Colorado State right now because a lot of it is the talent. So for him, it's more of just, is he going to continue to make good play calls? I mean, he doesn't have a good offensive line whatsoever um so it's it's hard to kind of judge him too much for what's going to happen this year but just need to continue seeing creativity from him and um it's more of what he did at kent state and um he he should have gotten um probably the cincinnati job this past offseason in my opinion um so i don't know exactly uh why he wasn't valued higher by by them and why they took satterfield but like to me i think right now Lewis has probably done enough to, to solidify himself in that list, but again, got to keep seeing all these guys throughout the year. Jonathan Smith, again, can't have a setback. He's had two good years in a row. Last year was a top 10, or sorry, top 25 season. Now he has DJU and he needs to keep progressing. So, yeah, and again, like it'll depend on what a lot of these guys' situations are in terms of buyouts and salaries. Elkos um, is the only one that's not known, but for the rest, you don't know what their motivations are. Someone like, let's say, a Lance Leipold. Um, who Michigan State definitely could give a raise to? Um, at age sixty, does he want to start a new process from scratch? Um, in the middle of him already having unprecedented success at Kansas, that, you know, at least in my time of watching Kansas, that they haven't had. Um, someone like a uh, Chris Clayman, who's fifty-five years old, I believe. Um, even like your your Dave Dorans at North Carolina State. Um, like these are guys that, sure, you Michigan State has more resources than these schools, but is that what they're really after after building successful programs um, and, and kind of being lifers to some extent, Not necessarily Lold, but at least at least Doran and Clayman and some of these guys. So those are all factors to consider. It's not just about, oh, Michigan State has more money than these schools, so Michigan State should able really to get whoever they want. Um, it it depends on what their motivations are. Um, again, like I said though, like I'm not not a huge fan. I could be talked into somebody like a Brian Hartline, but just uh, today where we sit, I think it's just way too big of a swing to go after a guy like that. Um, some people that I that I really respect and who have good opinions, they they are kind of saying like, hey, you kind of have to go for that swing. You have to go for a Hartline. I think, I think you can't settle for somebody that's like completely bland and has a low ceiling, a high floor, like a PJ Fleck or a a Pat Narduzzi completely out on that. But I think there has to be a balance between like going for people that have some excitement and some potential and that could be better coaches than they are even right now somebody who you're investing in long-term, but have a high floor at the same time. Somebody that you know, like, hey, if Mike Elko comes in here and let's say Michigan State loses 22 people to the portal throughout this process and they don't have the talent edge that you'd like them to have, can this guy actually go and win with a talent deficit? Yeah, he's shown that he can at Duke so far. So somebody that has that reputation of being a proven winner, someone that's had a control of a program like a Sean Lewis at Kent State, even though now he's an OC, those are the guys that I gravitate to right now. Does that mean like if somehow, some Michigan State hires Brian Hartline in two months, that I'd be pounding the table and saying it's a horrible hire? No, but they better be very, very, very sure that he can handle donors, manage an entire roster, brand the program, manage the program, um, hire good coordinators, because he himself might be a great recruiter, but he does not call plays at Ohio State, and this is his first year even as a coordinator. So like I said, back when we were talking to Matt, you're basically just hiring an offensive uh, or sorry, a wide receivers coach as your head coach. And you don't know if he can hire good coordinators. And um, you don't know if, if he's even learning from a guy that can hire good coordinators. I know Ohio state has Jim Knowles right now, but some of the assistants they've had these last few years they're I don't know necessarily how I feel about them. Um, whereas Charles Huff, I forgot to mention this when talking about him, he has now had both of his first two coordinators at Marshall now get hired by by programs better than Marshall. Miami, uh, the Hurricanes, came and took his defensive coordinator this past offseason, and Memphis came and took his offensive coordinator from this past season. So he's a guy that you know he can hire good coaches. He had a um, a great sort of network built uh, for him when he was at Penn State. All the years that he was under James Franklin, he got to work under Joe Moorhead there. So you know he knows what it's like for a good offense and what that should be structured like. Steve Sarkeesian was his OC um, when he was at Alabama. Again, the network of being plugged in with Saban there. I, I have more faith that he can hire a good staff um, while still being an electric recruiter than someone like a Brian Hartline who you don't know anything about what kind of staff you'd hire. And really the only thing you can say about him is being an electric recruiter. So I think um, that's why like those guys, I wouldn't I wouldn't give the, the rating an F if Michigan State were to hire them, but that's why they're behind these guys for me. Um, but yeah, I think Elko, Lewis, um, Jonathan Smith, we'll see. I don't know how realistic he is. And also he has to have a good season this year, in my opinion. Um, and then um, – There's a few other guys there that I could be talked into as well, but that's kind of where that's shaping up right now. Um, There's going to be a process here where they're going to get to see who's interested. um, What would it take for them to be interested? I'm having, again, a hard time envisioning who your pipe dream candidates would be like I'm I'm seeing all these Twitter replies that people are sending my way where they're like, Oh, they have to think bigger than Elko. Um, First of all, let's, let's set aside the practicality of that. Who would that be who who do you have in mind that is bigger than elko um because like i said like even some of the biggest names in coaching right now i don't necessarily know how much i would put stock into um their next five to ten year outlook some of them might not be coaching fibers from now like a sabin uh, a guy like sweeney if he truly is against this nil and this portal era he probably shouldn't be coaching if he has the age and the energy to so, like again, I'm not saying Michigan State's gonna go get Saban or Sweeney, but I'm giving you an example of even those lofty dream scenarios. Like, let's say you're Scott Woodward at LSU and um, you're trying to hire another Brian Kelly, where you can go take your pick of the litter and just hire anyone. Money's no object, and you're that you're that elephant hunter type. Who would you even hire if you're that person? Dan Lanning is probably the closest thing that I can come up with as like a completely unrealistic dream scenario candidate, but he's he's in his third year there, second year there, possibly. So I I don't know. I I just don't like the landscape, even if you were to go and try to make a huge splash hire with an infinite sum of money, which then you have to worry about how much is left over for the coaching pool. And I know the university cannot direct dollars towards NIL, but if you are asking lots of donors to pool in for your high coaching search, they have less to give for NIL. So it is interconnected there. So these are all questions to ask. Um, but then even again, from the practicality standpoint of, oh, let's go hire someone that can immediately get us first round draft picks and the national title and all this, that I'm seeing a few people say, um, yeah, that's just not where Michigan State is. I, I don't, I don't think, um, like I, I went to the school, I, I think, um, I hold the school in very high regard. Um, I go to bat for, for the school and the program against like some narratives I see out there whenever I get a chance to do, but like. I'm sorry. It's Michigan State is not going to be landing a top eight to fourteen coach just by throwing like another extra one and a half million than he's currently making, and just saying, well, why shouldn't you want to come here? We're Michigan State. That's just not how that's not how it works. If somebody is coaching at a top eight to fourteen place, and let's say Michigan State, let's say you want to go by traditional um, all-time wins, even though that's a fluky metric, and they're in eighteen to twenty-two range. Why would somebody move down like half of a tier and restart their process, even if they do hold Michigan State as, in as high of a regard as you do? And as I just said a few minutes ago, who would that name even be? I, I want to hear a name before saying Elko's not high enough or some of these guys are not high enough. So those are kind of my gripes with some of the dialogue around this this, this discussion. The other being, oh, it has to be an offensive mind. Now, granted, I I understand where people are coming from of of Mel as a defensive coach, and his offenses have not been um, up to standard. It's not up to standard once again this year, was not last year. Um, I understand where people are coming from. And even the final D'Antonio years where the defenses were top 25, the offenses weren't good enough, I understand where those preconceived notions are coming from. But Mike Elko, a defensive guy, defensive coordinator his whole life, he went ahead and in one year, he elevated Duke's offense 90 spots nationally just by hiring an offensive coordinator while having nothing to do with the offense. Not everyone is Mel. Not everyone is Mark D'Antonio in terms of only focusing on having defensive success, where it can be debated if if Mel even had defensive success. But at the end of the day, you cannot just go ahead and say, "Well, I'm out on offense, or I'm out on defensive guys," because our last two defensive coaches didn't have great offenses for stretches of their career. Kirby Smart, Nick Saban. Um, these guys are defensive guys. And um offensively, who would be the top mind? I guess Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley's never won a national title, he's never been to a national title game. Would you take a prime Lincoln Riley over honestly even a year two Dan Lanning? I don't know. So I, I don't I don't understand. Plus, a lot of these offensive coordinators are not calling their plays. So it's not necessarily going to be one of those things where oh, let's go ahead and let's force feed ourselves to hire a B minus OC over a B plus DC background guy. And um, suddenly, like, you're going to have an automatically great offense. A lot of these guys don't call their plays. Like, there's Ryan Day that calls his plays. Um, there's Chip Kelly, obviously used to do it. Um, Jimbo Fisher tried to doing tried doing it last year, maybe doing it this year. He's kind of secretive about that. Um, even Lane Kiffin did it when when he had Jeff Levy last year. So, like, it's very rare that your OC minded guy that you want to take is even going to be calling plays. Now, granted, if both guys you would grade at the same level, like let's say both guys are B plus candidates, would I agree that you probably need a better offense these days than you ever have in previous years? Sure. Um, could you possibly argue that maybe the tiebreaker should go to the offensive line? Maybe, maybe. But I don't I don't know if there is a guy that I would say is equal footing with Elko in my mind. But Someone wanted to make an argument for Lewis, I could see it, but I wouldn't say, oh, let's just eliminate defensive guys because he's a defensive guy because of Mel and Mark's offenses. So that's another another talking point that I have not been a fan of. Um, So those are kind of just some of the dialogues and the nuances of this discussion that I kind of wanted to touch on. But again, Michigan State has a benefit of getting out in front of this for several months. Sure, they're going to reach out to coaching search firm, probably Glenn Sugiyama, the Michigan State alum from DHR International, if I had to guess uh, which firm they'd use. Used him last time around as well in 2020. So, yeah, they're, they're going to have this process. They're going to get to vet these guys. They're going to get to pivot elsewhere if somebody like Say Alco isn't interested. So, this is exactly the place you want to be if you had to do a coaching search. And uh, Matt and I went over some of the positives of the, what the school has to offer. So, I don't think Michigan State is poaching whoever, let's say, the ninth best head coach in the nation is right now and getting him to come here and restart a process. I do think there's a lot of appeal about the Michigan State job. There's no question about that. In one of the most stable conferences, new facility coming up, support is good, fans are good. So there's enough here that they should be able to land a good coach, and there's no excuse if they don't. Whether your opinion of, of someone like Sean Lewis is that he is a good coach or not, that is debatable. But I think that I like a few of the candidates that have come up here and um, they should be able to land them for sure. Um, Didn't want this episode to go too long, uh, but I know we haven't gotten to Maryland yet. So just real quickly, um, Maryland's a team that the last two weeks have been slow starters. Uh, They were down 14-0 this past week to Virginia. They were also down 14-0 two weeks ago to Charlotte. And um, both times they came back, and not only did they win, they covered handily. Um, we obviously know how Talia Tagovailoa is as a passer, um, missed a few more throws this year, taking a little longer for him to process the field than usual. But I think part of that is just, he doesn't have trust with some of these new transfer portal wide receivers that have come in and the young guys is, you know, there's no Dante Dimas, there's no Raheem Jarrett this year. So it's, I think it's just a process, but in terms of actual like touch and delivering um, a deep ball, if you give him space. He's capitalized on those. They've had some quick strike drives this year, Um, and obviously Michigan State got killed this past week uh, through the air. So it's going to be very likely that he still throws for like over 320 yards this week. But I think their passing offense should be a little worse than last year. Let's not forget, last year when Michigan State played Maryland at Maryland, they were very injury-riddled, and I think they still had six of the final seven drives in the game where they held Maryland to not scoring a touchdown. And um, that was probably their best stretch of defense last year uh, of the entire season. And uh, they're going to need to reach back and get that again, somehow this, this upcoming game, uh, it gets hard envisioning a bowl game. If you lose this game, I think um, Iowa looks worse than they, than they did coming into the year. Uh, Nebraska probably looks worse coming in than I thought they would. Minnesota is probably at that level um put this maryland team i think that there's an opportunity here if they start slow for you to capitalize but that would once again until noah kim uh to to not start slow uh last year last game i don't even think you can call it starting slow. i think it was just a bad game uh, from from pretty much everyone on the team but um uh, him as well and um but two games ago and three games ago when you saw those non-conference games Again, three and outs on the first two drives, um, and and that just can't happen against Maryland, especially if they're going to spot you two drives, two drives of them struggling, um, if you're lucky enough to have that. So he's going to have to find a way to start start strong. Um, I don't know necessarily defensively if they have to do anything um that they didn't do last year so if i'm scotty Hazleton, i would go ahead and look back at that game plan and try to recreate that um their blitzes weren't even getting home last year if i recall there was a few times where uh scotty would have like a crossfire blitz uh double a gap blitzes um and and from the mike symmetry and like they just were getting picked up but still they were able to hold them So yeah, figure out exactly what he did there, how he kind of bracketed some of the receivers, which I don't know if you need to this year, some of the leverage that they played and just kind of see what you need to do and find a way to recreate that. Uh, Maryland's personnel this year is not different than last year stylistically. Uh, Receivers might be a little less talented, um, Roman Hemby still the running back um, so stylistically I think you can try to do what you did there last year I know they've tried a lot of different formations Maryland is the game where last year they started to experiment a little bit um, they had some 3-4 in there 4-3 um, I think there was even a couple plays of 3-3-5 um, so it, it's just at the end of the day you, you got to see what worked there and you got to re- apply it this year but of course Maryland's going to be looking at that film and trying to adjust so it's not as black and white as I make it seem but point is, this is a, should not be some new exploration of what should we do. And um, offensively, you just gotta you gotta get going. You you can't have that kind of run blocking as you had against Washington. You have to have better separation. You have to make better throws. In the and the rare spots where Jay did have a couple creative drives. Noah Kim missed the throw. Other times, you'd like to see different play calling, especially in like a second and ten setting. Um, maybe even a first and 10. I think um, if you look at Jay's like track record, him on like third and four or him on like fourth and two with like the season on the line, uh, Will Hunter's made this point in the past. Like he really gets in his bag there and he comes up with something, but like there's got to be better play calling to get them to those points. It, it shouldn't be third and nine so often as it is. Um, you got to be in those third and fours and fourth and twos for you to showcase some of those um tricks you have up your sleeves like the, the, the they had a few years in the past so it's got to be better on first and second down there and um you got to get it you got to be able to run block better than you have uh so those are kind of the, the main points like nothing revolutionary i don't have any deep insight here they just have to be better in all phases and um they got to find a way to win this game if they want to make a ball game i think um I don't want to touch the um, quarterback discussion just yet. I think it's one, two, three weeks too early. Um, I do want to see if that was a fluke or not from Noah Kim last game. If it's not a fluke, um, there's going to have to be a discussion here, but I I don't want to say anything this week. I know I've always been of the belief that the higher ceiling guy that, that could have more of an impact if you let him get reps is my choice. People have taken that to mean that I have an agenda or a slant where I want Kane Hauser to start definitively over Noah Kim. I, frankly, whoever's better should start. Um, but like again, like last game can't happen again this year. Um, because if that keeps happening, what do you necessarily lose by playing the younger guy with the higher ceiling, with the more prototypical frame, with the brighter possible pro potential if he can reach his his ceiling. So these are all the kind of questions worth asking. I think it'd be premature to just say, oh no, it can't. You had one bad game and two bad drives in each of the first two games, time for you to be on the chopping block. No, I don't I don't think that would be fair. But um, that just that can't happen again because there's a kid with with too much potential, which it's debatable, I guess, if he's if he's close enough to reaching it or not. Uh, maybe that's why he isn't the starting quarterback just yet. But I heard enough from the from the scrimmages in both the spring and the fall to say that if Noah Kim keeps keeps playing like he did in that Washington game, which again could be a, could be a fluke, um, that that it's it's the other kids shouldn't be sitting for too long, and that's all I'll say. And we will reevaluate after this game, after the next game, and see whether that discussion needs to be had or not. But that's just kind of laying out the landscape of where that where that discussion would lead. Um, so with that, I don't think I have anything else. But I do want to do want to say. Um, everyone's done a great job uh, giving us uh, like a like or a thumbs up on the, in the YouTube videos. Definitely keep doing that. Uh, would love more comments. Um, so let's use this opportunity of kind of the discussion with the coaching search to kind of, let's rig the system a bit here and let's get some extra comments in here. So why doesn't not everybody? Uh, why do everybody leave comments of A, who your most favorite choice would be for head coach? And then in a separate comment to really boost these numbers, Uh, Drop a comment of who you would least like to be the head coach at Michigan State um, after this process wraps up. Also go ahead and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That helps the algorithm and the ranking metrics as well. Um, We actually um, had a sponsor reach out to us just from where we were ranked um, after our last episode, not necessarily what we were looking for and we don't want to oversaturate the show with stuff that we are not really interested in that just, just for the sake of the money. But it seems like there are some opportunities there. So we could really, really appreciate your help there um, and uh, appreciate everyone for listening. And uh, like I said, please like, please subscribe, please leave reviews on all the platforms. Thanks for listening to this episode of the SD4L show. And uh, we will see you next time.